Hey there. The following episode of the Cantori Show is brought to you by Baja Bound Mexican Auto Insurance. They've been serving travelers for over 30 years. No, I think it's 20 years. Either way, a long time. You can get your insurance policy in a matter of minutes online at BajaBound.com. When traveling south of the border, which a lot of folks are doing right now, especially the cost of living down here. You know, I got buddies who, who live full-time in Mexico, spending their weekends down there to save cash because going out here costs so much. And uh, yeah, you need insurance. Back in the day, we'd get a policy off the freeway if we even got a policy. But now you don't want to mess around and you want to use the best. In fact, I was just on, uh, on, on the Google and Baja Bound Mexican Auto Insurance has over 100, 200 Google reviews and they've got like a five-star rating, 4.8. That .2, crazy. BajaBound.com. So, sitting down with Claudia Sandoval, you're going to hear Chef Claudia Sandoval, I should add. Uh, we're going to sit down, have a nice talk here. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. Uh, it's interesting, though, because I've been following uh, Chef Claudia's trajectory for many years here in San Diego, her career, that is. Her successes, uh, she was the winner, season six, Master Chef, went on to publish a cookbook, got a big fat check, local media celebrating her, the whole deal. But along with success comes failure, comes trials, tribulations, as you know. I mean, we talked to uh, Tommy Gomes, the fishmonger, just on the last show podcast, Talking about how, yeah, now he's got the big TV show, Tunaville, The Market in Point Loma, but not that long ago, Tommy was eating out of trash cans. And Claudia is not afraid here to get real and talk about where her career has taken her and the ups and downs. And that's, that's life, no matter what you do. So I, I appreciated the fact that she was able to be vulnerable on this show. You'll hear that in a bit. But first, speaking of real deal, uh, the following show is also brought to you by Real Deal Resin. If you're a fan of the uh, the cannabis gummies, a lot of people love the gummies. I'll tell you, these are some of the best, if not the best on the market. They've got hash rosin-infused gummies. They're, they're small-batch vegan, single-strain hash rosin. They're, they're infused gummies, gluten-free, I might add, for those who are watching the gluten. They're available at all March and Ash locations here in San Diego, marchandash.com. And uh, they've got the grape guava lemonade infused with grape guava hash rosin. How about that? They've got, am I going to mess this one up? Marionberry? Is that how you say that? I've never really said that word. Marionberry? I'm going with it. Infused with A10 hash rosin. And the packaging's amazing. They got the whole Lucha Libre thing going. I, I can't recommend it enough. Again, it's real deal resin. Look for the hash-infused gummies with the luchador on the on the packaging. It's really I want a I want a t-shirt. I really do. Let's talk to, speaking of infusing gummies and, and little treats, let's talk to a chef who is uh, no stranger to making, well, you'll learn, Mexican pastries. I love Mexican pastries. We sit down, we pick it up right now with Chef Claudia Sandoval as I get our little equipment set up and I start bragging to her that I don't even need to use headphones while we record because uh, I'm such a pro. Yeah. All right, here we go. Chef Claudia Sandoval, I hope you enjoy. 
levels. Because <laughs> you're a pro. I guess. I, <laughs> I used to be. I don't know what I am now. Do you know what you are? No. I know, I, right? I think I'm just still like learning always. You never ask a lady her age, but I, I'm in my 50s or... or you're I'd about imagine. To be 40. I was going to say, you're in your 30s, right? Okay. I'm in my very late 30s. Okay. So I'm holding on to dear life. Do you, do you have kids? I do. I have one, uh, one 16 year old. One 16. She's technically about to be 17 this coming Thursday. So. Oh, wow. My son's oh, 16. I know. It goes so fast, doesn't it? Yeah, it goes by so fast. And, um, and I just, I don't even know like how it's possible that like she's already a senior that we're already here like she's we're talking college like how did that happen that's my son in his junior year now i just don't i don't understand i'm like what how did that happen at what point did i become a mom of a of a teenager like i I don't feel like i'm old enough to be the mom of a teenager it's it's the weirdest thing yet i feel like i'm too old (laughs) to be the the dad the dad of a teenager yeah but it's kind of funny because i was at starbucks earlier this morning picking up something for my son i was about to take him to work he works at a kids camp over at the brickyard here locally yeah i'm in line and i see a young mom with her son yeah and the son really good looking kid just you know year old and smiling at me and i i just love babies i really do i love kids yeah so uh, he's looking at me, and then the mom sees me staring at the son, and I was like, oh, I said, you have a really beautiful boy. Yeah. And she's like, oh, thank you. And I said, you're going to be amazed how fast the years go. Yeah. I said, I have a 16-year-old in the car. I remember him being that size like it was yesterday. Yeah. And I was like, the old adage of the days are long, but the years are short. It's true. It's so true. And, and she looked at me like I was some freak, like, who yeah. is this guy talking yeah. to me? <laughs> And I'm just like, no, I'm, I was trying to Who is to be. this guy giving me advice about being a parent? And I'm like, I'm such an old guy now. I feel the same way, though. I feel like I, every single one of my friends who has like 12-year-olds and is like griping, oh, the attitude, I'm like, just Just wait. wait. Just wait. It's heavy. It's, uh, yeah. And I feel for what the kids are going through now. I yeah. mean, like, look at your daughter. She was probably, she was in high school during the pandemic, yeah. during the shutdowns. These kids are in their rooms. Hits, you know, affects their social lives. Now totally. Getting thrown back into the machine while still trying to figure out who they are as a yeah. kind of age. Then you've got the internet poisoning their minds. Oh my gosh. The TikTok crazes and all of the ridiculous things they have them doing and thinking. And especially even as a young lady for it's her, it's, it's worse, worse for the you know? Yeah. I mean, she's showing me videos of these girls who are emaciated, similar to what I grew up with, right? With the 90s supermodels being, right. you know, 12 pounds. Um, but the she's Kate showing Mosses me. Of yeah. The 90s. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and she's showing me videos of this. And then also the flip side of that, you know, like the, the people who are like all about embracing body positivity, but doing nothing to keep themselves healthy is also, you know, so it's, it's really fascinating. It's really, really, really interesting. Yeah. Well, I have a daughter also who's 13 and I agree with everything you're saying because I see how the TikTok affects or social media affects my son versus my daughter. It's two different worlds. It, It really is. It's yeah. And and the messaging that they're getting is it's awful. It's so toxic. It's so toxic to their self-esteem, to everything. And we're, I mean, you and I both know, like without all of that, we grew up without all of that. Um, it was hard it, enough. It was already so hard. Yep. It was already so hard trying to figure out who you were, who you are, who you were, whatever. And then on top of that, to your point, the pandemic had them, you know, kind of hanging out um, at home, you know, with nothing else 
uh, except like this box, this vacuum of like, you know, social media. Yep. To be able to connect with people. And then we wonder why they, like my daughter, I'm like, honey, go say hi to people. And she's like, no. Like she, it's like the social interaction is almost gone. Bingo. How are they supposed to date? But then I also see the other side where these kids I feel like are trying to be adults too fast. Totally. And they are dating and they're wearing stuff. You know, this is where I start sounding like I'm a (laughs) hundred. But I I see both sides too, where it's just like, I see how their social growth has been stifled in one area. But then on the other side, I also see these kids who are trying to grow up too fast. I think it'll be so interesting to hear. I mean, like, you know, 30 years from now to watch like uh, a documentary about the social effects of what those even just those two years of kind of lockdown or pseudo lockdown, whatever it was like, they really will have lasting effects. I mean, not to mention to your point earlier, you know, these kids who were robbed of like their senior year, you know, who didn't get to graduate, you know, uh, and on and on and on. I mean, the the repercussions on our youth are going to be, I think, uh, huge. But I also think though, it's not all doom and gloom. I think that, there is also something to be said about how resilient they're going to be. I agree with that. You know, I think it's taught them early on, guys, like life is hard and life freaking sucks. And I think so often we're shielded from that and we're shielded from death even when we're young because right. our parents don't want us, ex- you know, uh, exposed Especially to in that. our generation. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like God forbid taking children to a, you know, to, to a funeral or even speaking of death or knowing like we were so shielded and guarded from all that, that I think that this is really going to be something that as a society, they are going to be just a little bit more conscientious of that aspect of it. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Thousand percent. Yeah. And I see that as well because I know when it comes to my own personal struggles, it's because of the bullshit that I was fed through my childhood. Totally. <laughs> where you thought it was going to be easy, you work hard, you get the house, then you get the men in the side. Right. It's like the boat and all that stuff. Just keep working hard. Just keep working hard and yeah, it's all going to get there. Exactly. Pick yourself off off the ground. Just show your dedication and your loyalty. And, and everybody get, will acknowledge you. Everybody will acknowledge you. It'll trickle down. Just the American dream. And then you realize the hard way that it's it's like the E True Hollywood story. It's like, yeah. yeah, you can't experience success, but it gets taken away a lot faster than it took to build it. Oh, 100%. And to get it back is 100 times harder. Right. And then you also have that expectation of yourself sometimes. Because it's been already programmed yes. as a child that did you, you grew up in San Diego. Yeah, I was born and raised in San Diego. My, my mom is... Uh, technically like the first generation here in the United States. She she went to school here. And so she was, yes, very like Mexicana in the sense that like she, you know, has some very traditional values. But then when we're talking about like uh, feminism, she was definitely the one that was kind of like, you don't have to depend on a man. Like go out there, get it. You work hard enough. You're going to, you're never going to need a man. Well, that's a great lesson. It's a great lesson. However... <laughs> <laughs> However, I also, I, you know, there's also problems with that thought process because then you feel as though, oh, well, I don't need a man. And it's like, well, you know, there is value in having great, wholesome relationships, and right? A partnership. Yes. And tackling this world as a couple. I mean, as friend, a unit. we both live in San Diego. We know how expensive it is to live in San Diego. I've been a single parent for now, what, like uh, 12 years? It has been so much harder and I, I like I've even wondered to myself, does it make sense to keep this mentality of I don't need a man, right? right. When it just makes life 
harder sometimes. Don't disagree. Don't disagree also that there are relationships that are hard and that relationships are hard and they are work as well. But, you know, sometimes I want a break. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I, and then you think about, the, you know, there's plenty of single dudes up in North County <laughs> yeah. who, who are looking for uh, someone like yourself. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, it's yeah, it's, it, it, it's all worlds, right? I, and I think that that's also so important to acknowledge that it can be one way and it can also, there's, there's good and bad on both sides. No, I agree with you. But I also, th- I think that we were also raised with the money doesn't lead to happiness thing, but... It sure helps. It sure helps with oh my gosh. Uh, not being depressed <laughs> or anxious. Or anxious. I mean, yeah. the anxiety of not knowing where your next paycheck is yeah. coming from. Or if you're going to make bills that month. Well, and I mean, That's mental health. Yeah, you, so how can you say that money doesn't bring happiness? And I have a lot of friends who are therapists and, and, and behavioral health specialists. They say the common theme is always money. Like 85% of the time it's yeah. money or, or a health-related issue. Right. But most people are just struggling with money and trying yeah. to how to get through life with money. Right. And I think that we're living in that right now in real time. We've been through it before with recessions and depressions, and now I feel like we're better equipped to get through this time. Right. But we're, we're also been reprogrammed in the process. Yeah. No, we I... we were just talking about before we popped on. Absolutely. No, I, I 100% agree, and I think it's it's... You know, like especially for people like you and I who have been transitioned <laughs> because it's almost like a forceful transition, it right? Is. Into kind of a gig economy versus versus having kind of that one stable job. Oh my gosh. Like, I was a W two guy my entire entire life until recently. Yeah. And and I feel like there's this transition to kind of this more gig economy, which is which can be lucrative sometimes. However, it's worrying about that next job and when that next job is coming. And then you're like, wait, well, I can't wait for that next job to come. I need income now. And you know what kills me? Putting aside uh, stuff for taxes. It's like, I can't put aside stuff. I'm trying I'm, to survive. Uh, oh, my gosh. How I the totally... hell am I going to put 30% of this away? Exactly. I got to feed my family. Yeah, exactly. Pay the rent. Totally agree. And that's where the gig economy just kills me. Yeah. Where it's just like, I'm a creative. I'm not a, a finance guy. Yeah. And I'm not bringing in enough to hire a finance person. Right. It's crazy. I think that also just goes to show that <laughs> that's where... <laughs> That's where Full we're. circle, all of that stuff that our parents taught us about keep working and keep dusting yourself off and keep going right. has kept us afloat. At the same time, I also agree it's so important to push forward. And yeah. that's what this is all about. It's right. not necessarily, you know, I hate that word grind. I really have, I've learned to hate the word grind and hustle. I just, yeah. I, you know, and I use them a lot. Oh, I'm yeah. just grinding. I'm hustling right now. Right. And I just overuse it. But right. at the end of the day. I truly believe that at this stage in our lives, we just need to stay court, stay the course, yeah. put out good shit, yeah. and good shit will come back to us. I agree. We, you've got to be a good person, live selflessly, put good into the world, and it'll come back to you. Right. And that's how I'm living right now. I I, I feel the same way, friend. It's, it's definitely been exactly that. I mean, across the last year, I think I've only had two or three jobs, and everybody... What everybody sees on social media from me, I mean, I'm not joking. Yes, just yesterday, I got a message from somebody saying, you know, I see you crushing it on social media. And I'm like, I am. I know. <laughs> like, what? I know. You know, because in my thought, like in my head, I'm just like, I can't even pay the bills right now. And, and yet... And yet they see me crushing it on social media. And like, I don't understand how that's come across. And maybe I haven't been honest enough, but, you know, I I had a big surgery at the end of last year. And then 
and then just worked right up. And unfortunately, TV work, right, is always done well in advance and airs later. Yep. So while it may look like I was busy in May, I was just at home or I was out, you know, doing press, which is not paid, you know. Of course. <laughs> um, of course. So all of And these... you can say you release a book and that looks great on social media. Right. But at the end of the day... How much did you invest? How much time? How much is coming back based on your investment, your time? Totally. And you take all that into account. It's like, I'm not crushing it like you think I'm crushing. And your perception is not my reality. Right. But you don't want to give too much of your reality up because that also exposes your vulnerability, which totally. people will take advantage of. Of course. Of course. I think whenever people think like, oh, I see you on television, they're thinking I'm making Kim Kardashian money. Exactly. And I'm like, I wish. Right. <laughs> That's like me being off the radio. They're like, oh, you retired now? You know, you own like a bunch of homes and you're just cruising. It's like, no, I'm mm -hmm. pretty much where I was when I first started in radio. Yeah. The, so the expenses are more. Exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not the same. You know, I'm also 30 years older. Too, yeah. Which yeah. Is, yeah. The wisdom's great. But you. But also, the bones in, are creaking a little exactly. harder. <laughs> my knees are cracking and I'm looking at them waiting to glow. Yeah. And I saw that on Twitter and I laughed my ass off today. I saw you post that. I yeah. was dying. I but was like, that's totally me. That's me. That's me right now. But it's okay because I'm also at a stage in my life where I'm just happy to be alive. Yeah. I mean, truly, I'm just happy to be alive and I just want to be a resource to my children right yeah. now. Yep. So it's like yep, if yep, I can't yep. pass on that monetary dollar, let me pass on the shit that I've learned and I'm not going to sugarcoat it and I'm not going to sell you the same shit that I was sold when I was your age. 100%. I, my goal is to completely create a conscientious human being that understands that even my traumas shouldn't affect her. Yes. And and that is so valuable and so important. You know, I think um, so often what we're what we grew up with, we think like, ah, well, I don't want them to, to, to do the same or I don't want them to suffer the same. But I think the conversation rather is show them that show them why that didn't work so that they can later be armed with that information and yep. say, oh, I don't want to do that because X, Y and Z. Um and so it's funny. The other day I had seen a like a little, a little video of a, of a child, a baby asking his mom, like, mom, where was I before? <laughs> where was I before I was in your tummy? <laughs> and it, it was funny. Right. But of course, she ends up saying something along the lines of like, well, in your dad, you know. Right. And you get the idea of where. Right, right, right. Um, but I was like dying laughing. I sent it to my daughter. My mom's like, my she's like, my daughter's like, this is mom. This is so inappropriate. <laughs> and I was like, honey. And she's like, well, finish it. Yeah. You could say anything on this. What, what okay. was it? Was it like a in guy? Your, in your dad's ball sack. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and she was like, mom, this is so inappropriate. And I was like, is it really? And she's like, well, I mean, most moms aren't sending their kids that. And I was like, yeah, but it's hilarious. And like, it's true. And yeah. she's like, you're right. It is true. And I was like, and I understand that I'm not like everybody else's mom. I was like, but I, I don't want to be like everybody else's mom who is like not sharing things with their kid there that like is reality. Same. You know, like I, I, I share with her when I fail because she also needs to know that life comes with a lot of failures. I've had an incredible amount of success and I've been incredibly blessed. And, and um, I, I, I'm trying to stay away from saying lucky because I don't think that it was luck. To your point, we yeah. work really hard to get where we are. Agreed. So I'm starting to work on my um, uh, my I, imposter syndrome. I was going to say, yes. I was going to use those words. Yep. 
I have to like reframe the way I speak about myself and the way I speak about my experiences. And that's exactly why I refuse to use the word lucky. I'm like, I have to stop saying lucky because I deserved it. I worked really hard. For I it. agree with you. And so um, I'm teaching my daughter those types of things is saying like, listen, you know, it isn't luck. You work really hard, but then you're going to work really hard for something that you're really, really passionate about that you've done all of the research on that makes 100% sense. And you're going to serve it up to the wrong person who's not going to get it. And that is also, it sucks, but that's reality and yeah. that's life. Or you can do that work also and someone will take it and run with it and you're back at square one going, wow, what do I do now? You know, that's, yeah. that's the Walter White. I've been watching a lot of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. You know, I've never, I've never seen Breaking Bad. Oh. <laughs> I know. Oh. And it, it's funny, on my way here, you're going to laugh. I'm not joking. On my way here, NPR was doing this thing uh, talking about Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I That's definitely amazing. started Better Call Saul. Uh, I didn't realize that it's not related, though, right? It is. It it, is. Oh, it is it's a little a related. Uh, it's a prequel. Oh, well, then I'm watching it in the right order. <laughs> You're right. You are, but it also brings in and threads in later on. Breaking Bad, and you're going to need to know those characters. Uh, okay. in order to get, you're not going to need to. It'll help. Right. But Better Call Saul doesn't really start getting its legs to the fourth and fifth season. Oh, okay. Six. Okay. So the first three, very, very slow. It's a slow burn. Oh, my gosh. It's so slow. It was so slow for the first couple episodes. Oh, I was I was I like, oh, my gosh, I'm just going to like work through it. So. If I were you, and this will offend Better Call Saul fans... <laughs> I would start at season five, like really? halfway through, and you'll be fine. I swear to you. No, I'm, I'm Especially a weirdo. Especially if you have some Breaking Bad history, no, I have which not. you don't have. Okay. But the whole thing that's so fascinating about Breaking Bad and the storyline is just a guy, middle-aged guy, who no longer, he's unable, he's a teacher, can't having a hard time paying his mortgage, can't support his family, and he right. starts cooking meth to re make real money oh. because he's a chemistry teacher. At a high school. Of course. Oh, it's so fascinating. It's a of brilliant storyline. But at the same time, it just shows you. And he also had a, a, a medical issue that you really will do almost anything to make sure that you can put food on the table at the end of the day. Who are you telling? Right. I, I am a master chef who's driving Uber with her daughter at night. This is exactly the, the same. I mean, granted, I'm not cooking meth, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but that but says that's, it. I get it. Like, I People would be like, why is, she, why is she driving Uber? It's like, but, you know, it's like, I need something that's incognito. <laughs> you should be driving weed around yeah, then. Right. I'll get you a job downstairs at March and Ash. I got a couple of friends on that. Wait, friggin, what is that? What is that? a dispensary. It's a dispensary. We're that's above fancy. A dispensary. I thought it was a restaurant. No, it looks like a friggin' boutique. It, it does. Like I was like, sex. wow, this is fancy. Yeah, no, that's a dispensary. Wow. And all those cars up on the hill that you park next to are all uh, delivery cars. Uh, so you don't, have to, don't even have to drive your own vehicle. Well, look at that. Yeah, I have I have a couple of friends on the beat. Yeah, because wow. and and it and it makes sense. And there's no shame in the fucking game. There isn't. There, there really, really isn't. I mean, I swear. And I've got. I'll never. You know, because I I respect people's privacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these are people that trust me. People have seen their work. I'll yeah. just say that. Just yeah, like yeah. people have seen your work. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. You've seen their work, and they're slinging weed around town. Just to take on that extra revenue. Yeah. And I'd do it too if I needed to. Yeah. In a second. It, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's also helped with the kid, right? And teaching her about responsibility and going out and getting a job and all that. So that's been super helpful. And it's obviously given us a little bit of time too. But 
I think you bring up such an excellent point with there is no shame in that hustle because the other day um, I was at a restaurant and somebody recognized me and I was like, I was like, Hey, what's up? They were like, what are you doing? And I was like, Oh, I'm picking up an Uber Eats order. And they were like, you work Uber Eats. And they were like, so like, what the fuck? You know, like, just like, I'm what? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I was like, why? What's up? And they were like, um, what? Like they were so confused. And I was like, I was like, listen, I was like, I have extra time. I was like, I, w- I couldn't go to sleep tonight. So I decided I was going to go out and make some money. Good for I was you. like, why is why is that a problem? And I was like, I was like, and then he just like looks at me. He's like, I guess there isn't any. And I was like, no, there really isn't. I was like, everybody has to make a living. Everybody has to do whatever they got to do. Yep. And I was like, and listen, being a single mom is not easy. And he was just like, you know what? You're right. My mom's a single mom, too. And she works two jobs. Bingo. And I was like, I don't you know, hands up like. This is, we all got to do what we got to do. I was just hanging out with a guy last night who's a pro, former pro surfer. Yeah. And uh, I hadn't seen him in years. Said, What are you doing these yeah. days? He said, DoorDash. Yeah. And right away he started jumping in on, you know, I'm going to school though and I'm going to, I'm like, dude, you don't, don't worry. Stop, man. I didn't, you said DoorDash. I didn't flinch, man. Yeah. You know, and I, I just could tell that he wanted to go and really have to continue validating why he was doing DoorDash. Right. I was like, stop, dude. I literally said that. Stop. You know, I said, I didn't flinch when you said DoorDash. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, stop yeah. right there. We're good. Yeah. And now let's go to the second question. So what else are you doing? You yeah. working on other stuff too? Right. Then you answer that. But totally. it's not to qualify. Yeah. Because yeah. I even remember there was a guy that I worked with at who had a big position there at one time. I saw him working at Trader Joe's and it made me so sad. Not because he was working at Trader Joe's. It made me sad because I could tell that he was trying to avoid making on t- eye contact with me right. because he worked at Trader Joe's. Right, right, right. And I was like, do you really think I would judge you for working at Trader Joe's? And he did. Yeah. You know, and he didn't want to make, or it was his own shit, obviously. Right. But nonetheless, it made me so sad. I was like, oh, man, I'm so bummed that he feels uncomfortable working at Trader Joe's right yep. now. Yep, yep. Um, Where there's no shame, obviously. They've got better health insurance at Trader Joe's than any media company I've ever worked for. No, but seriously. Seriously. <laughs> and retirement plans. 100%. Same I, with REI. If it, well, in Costco. I, in like, Costco. I've heard about Costco jobs. I was like listening to somebody else talking to me about, he was like, yeah, I've been making 100000 plus like working for Costco and I get these benefits. And I was like, you make $100,000 working yes. for Costco? Yes. I had no idea. Yes. I was like, I'm doing the wrong job. <laughs> I completely I like jo- jokingly, you know, said that to him. And he was just like, I said, listen, chefs don't make that. You're right. Like, I don't care what, like, you could be like, even on my level, I, if I was to go and get a restaurant job, I'd probably be making at about 100000 But but because I'm a big name, right? A regular executive chef is only making about sixty thousand dollars. I was going to say fifty or sixty. Yeah. So, so it's it's you know the only reason why I would get paid even close to that amount is because of the name and the you, can you know your name. yeah yeah yeah. Get it? But but it's like I was like wait what? Yep. I was like I've been I've been thinking about this all wrong all of my life you right. know. Um. But no, it's it's it. I don't. I don't take it back. Know. I don't take it back. I, I mean, I, I say that jokingly. Obviously, I don't right. want to work at Costco. Uh, with all respect to everybody that works at Costco, um, and good for good for them oh, making gosh. all that money. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm very happy with what I'm doing, and and I am working on a ton of other things. So that, you know, the Uber thing helps of with course. with uh, being able to work crazy hours and 
being having the capacity to be able to write because I'm writing I, a I, book. So I understand. Yeah. Tell me about the book. I can't tell you much. <laughs> You're like, no, I can't. <laughs> I can't tell you much, but but it is. I'm very very excited yeah, about broad it. Stroke, just a complete broad yeah. Stroke. I think it, I'm really excited about it because it definitely has to do with, um, you know, with something that that my show Taste of the Border was kind of about, which is like fusion and food and how food transforms based on where you are, what those ingredients are available to you, and then whatever influences are available to you, right? Like if you're in the middle of Hatch, New Mexico, right, and you no longer have, um, you know, heirloom corn, now you're working with only flour. And so therefore, all the Tacos are, you know, flour tacos, you know, right. things like that. Um, and, you know, the, the, the quality of the peppers, you know, taste different in Hatch than they do in California. And yet they're the same gene of, you know, of, of pepper. So I think uh, that kind of stuff really fascinates me. And so I'm really digging a little bit deeper into kind of food history. Yeah, and, say, it sounds very well researched, yeah. informational, yeah. Yeah. educational. Totally. Yeah. Not yeah. my speed. <laughs> I like, well, I I mean, like pictures like, and tacos. Well. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> we can change. Okay. I, I pick up what you're throwing down now. I'm just like, well, I'm just going to keep that. All right. All right. Fair. Are you currently on TV? I am. Well, my show's currently airing on Discovery Plus. Um, Taste of the Border is currently on. And then... Uh, I have a new season of MasterChef Latinos that's going to be filmed in Q1 of next year. Okay. Yeah. So not not currently on any live television now. So where only did streaming. You, so where did you grow up in San Diego? National City. Okay. Yeah. Born and raised. Born and raised in National Siblings. I do. I have a, a younger brother. I'm the eldest. I have a younger okay. brother and two twin sisters. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. And your mom was a single mom? My mom was a single mom for a little while. Yeah, until I was uh, about seven, and then she met my dad. Um, and then they got married and had the twins. Um, so my, my sisters are, are technically half sisters, but you know, um, my dad's been in my life since I was seven, like I said. And so he's my dad, you know, and he's wonderful. And he's actually the first one that really kind of got us into kitchens because, um, he came over, he was a police officer in Tecate in Mexico, gave up his job to be with my mom. He was just like so in love with her. I love it. Um, moved over here. And of course, as you know, there's what's the number one job, right? It's like dishwasher. Yeah. Started off as a dishwasher. And what was your mom doing here when they met? Uh, my mom was working for a restaurant as well. Okay. Um, just like as a server. And so then, uh, yeah, he ended up moving up, moving up, and then ended up working for Saquon Casino once he got, you know, his papers and everything. Uh, they both went to work. My, my dad was the essentially like the executive chef kitchen manager and she was the uh, F&B supervisor. So they went, you know, and did all of that. And so um, it was great, man. Where'd you go to high school? Sweetwater. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're full, obviously. Oh, yeah. Full oh, yeah. South Bay. Full South Bay, um, you know, loud and proud about it. And, um, and I think that that's so important too because, you know, then every single little girl that goes to schools like that and and comes out of neighborhoods like mine knows that it is possible to do right. something with your, you know, with your life because I so often we're kind of just ignored and and thought of like, oh, well, you know, they're just from the South Bay, it's no big deal. Sure. They won't ever make it into. I mean, to the level where my I had a 3.9% grade point average and the second best SAT score in the whole school, but I wasn't told 
to apply for universities. Really? So I didn't apply to any universities. So where'd you go straight from there? Did you? Community college. I went to Grossmont. I okay. wanted to get away from everybody. <laughs> so you went to Grossmont. <laughs> so I went to Grossmont. I mean, listen, that's really far from the I from agree. the hood. I agree. Yeah, it would take me an hour and a half. I'll never forget on the on the bus and the trolley. So when were you cooking? Were you cooking at home at this point, or when did the cooking thing really start to well, take hold? I mean, technically, I've always been cooking. My grandmother, and my mom, like, got me started with cooking, and you know, obviously taught me all the basics and all of that. But then my dad came in and he taught us a little bit more of kind of the more traditional ways of, of kitchen cooking, right? Where like in a professional kitchen. Um, and yeah, as I grew up and, and kept, you know, kept learning, kept loved watching Food Network and Emerald. I was a huge Emerald fan. And, That's a riot. Yeah. And then would watch a ton of videos online and, and practice the recipes. And I would go through full cookbooks and make every recipe in the cookbook. So and this so, is high school at this point or before? Yeah. High, just... uh, yeah. Like a little bit after high school. Okay. And yeah, I just kept learning and learning and learning and learning and, you know, met friends, uh, you know, had an Italian friend, a Dominican friend, and everybody just taught me a little bit of everything. And I just kept creating and creating and then, you know, had my daughter at like 21, um, left her dad about when she was three and then um, left with nothing. Like everything that was in our apartment was gifted or donated to us. Damn. Um, and I mean, we literally like had like a box. <laughs> as like a table you know like it was crazy that's so. heavy with a kid oh yeah because i had that that i remember that at 23 but i was single and i left with a rice cooker oh damn. i got the rice cooker yeah. i'm like i'm just taking the rice cooker and i'm good <laughs> you're all be okay with rice but if i had a kid <laughs> i i can't imagine what it was like it was, to be it was shoes. really hard did I'm you not move back lie. in with mom at that point i or? moved in i moved in with mom for like um like maybe like six months. Okay. And then once I was able to get, you know, off my feet with my mom, then I was able to get that apartment. And right. that's when, you know, I kind of started with nothing. So, but when did cooking become like a, a profession and start really gaining? Honestly, momentum? really not until I went on MasterChef. Really? Oh, yeah. So you were ju just I a never, home, just the story oh, yeah. of a home cooker who goes on MasterChef and oh, wins. Yeah, because yeah, MasterChef is only home cooks. Okay. Yeah, Part so of Ma my ignorance there. No, no, no you're fine. Yeah, that. You do not have to have ever worked. In fact, you cannot have ever worked formally in a kitchen as a prep cook or a chef for, you know, like a, a, an extended period of time and go on that competition because gotcha. technically you already have experience, right? Um, and I did have a little bit of experience when like my dad would need like a fry cook or something like that. He would pull me in, but, but not like right. every day hustling in a kitchen, you know, tickets going crazy. Like that was not my experience up until that point. Right. Yeah. Ma Master chefs, Gordon Ramsay. Yep. And that's that. What year was this? Uh, 2015. 2015. Yes. Okay. 2015. So he'd been doing this. That show's been on forever, right? Well, at that point, yeah, it was. Uh, it had already been on for five seasons, okay. and he already at that point had like ten or eleven seasons of Hell's Kitchen. That's so right. everybody knew who Gordon Ramsay was right. at that point, you know. Um, and yeah, yeah, I I decided to go on that show, and it was a huge, huge, huge risk. How'd you get on? Uh, you audition. Okay. Uh, yeah, I. One of my really good friends uh, who used to run Instagram or San Diego with me was okay. a community writer for Entertainment Weekly back then. And uh, they sent her kind of like the, oh, here's the 
the casting call. And so she shared it back with me and, and said, you know, you're always cooking, you're always posting food, you know, you're always winning these like cooking competitions that you like apply for. Like, why don't you do this? And I was like, that's funny. I used to always think that I should go on that show. Did you do like little local chili cook-offs? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did like a tamale making competition. I did like a salsa competition and a bunch of like little things. And then I had one like a Betty Crocker one okay. for $500, something. Sim- I mean, it's nothing, right? But it, but I, I obviously really liked cooking. It was my thing. Um, so but you it was, go on this show and you dominate. Well, I didn't quite dominate initially. <laughs> the guys were really, really strong in this in that competition. But toward the end, I definitely kind of found what the judges were looking for me. And I think so much of TV, as you know, is is playing into the demographic and and understanding that like I am like the token Latina for this show, so yep. I have to embrace the token Latina and play into that and play into that. Um, and so I picked that up very quickly. And as soon as I picked that up, it was like, oh, cool, here we go. You know? And so, um, I just found ways of continuing to elevate my food and just really look to, you know, people that I looked up to in terms of plating because Mexican food is rustic. Mexican right. food isn't pretty, you know? Right. So trying to find ways to make Mexican food pretty was my number one objective because I knew that if I, I know my flavors are good, but like, how can I make it look beautiful Sure. so that, because let's face it, it's a TV show. Did they shoot in LA? Yeah. Okay. So we filmed you, for three months. You've got the advantage right there because we know how shitty LA Mexican food is. <laughs> so they're probably eating this for the first time going, oh my God, <laughs> this ain't El Torito. Yeah. This girl's our winner. Right, right, That's right. Hilarious. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was really months. wonderful. That's grueling too. Oh yeah. And, and you're on complete lockdown. You don't have your cell phone. You can't speak to your family. Oof. You get one call once a week for 10 minutes. One call once a week, 10 minutes. 10 minutes. So you'd call your daughter. Right. But then there were weeks where my daughter was at school because it's not always the same time. Ugh. So then I went like two, almost three weeks without speaking to my daughter. And I was, I was not happy. I was like, fuck this. I'm going to get out of here. Crazy. Yeah. No, I was, I was seriously like, you know what? I'm going to self-sabotage. I'm going to get out of here. Like I'm going home. Like. I tried to leave that competition. I'm not joking. Like three different times. No way. Oh yeah. When I first got there, they had us filming at like six in the morning and it had just rained and my feet were wet and I was in a dress freezing in like 50 degree weather. The next day I was sick. And I'm like one of those, like I don't just get sick. I get like pneumonia. Right. So I was so, so, so sick that I was like, there's no way. Yeah. And they weren't like taking me to a hospital. So I was like, there's no way, like I'm not getting antibiotics. I know I'm really sick. Like I'm going to go home. And they were like, no, 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 no. We're going to take you to the hospital. (laughs) Do they have you on salary while you're doing this? Are you like getting paid every week? No, you get zero money. No, you get zero money. And it's, and it's not until you're actually on the competition where they give you like, um, what is it called? Oh my God. Like a stipend. Or no, a, it's not like a stipend. It's like a what like it, daily, a, like a per diem. Per diem. That's per diem. what it is. Yes, they give you a per diem for food. Gotcha. So which is ridiculous. Which I think was like fifty or sixty dollars or something. So they like house that. you. They put you in a hotel. Right. Give you some money for food per day. That's it. Right. And then you win. You get a cash reward. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay. So that's not bad. Okay. Okay. Not bad, but <laughs> but taxes. Taxes. Good agents, old, managers, yeah. or whoever. Were, were other people able to get in their their hands into it? Other than no. Uncle Sam, or no, no. Uh, just okay. Uncle Sam, really. So that was that was really good. Okay. Um, and I had a really good tax professional who really was very helpful with that. But it was still like, 
I need you to understand that up until this point, I had never paid taxes. Yep. <laughs> like ever. That's hilarious. <laughs> so like having to pay taxes was like, wait, what? what? And you're, I'm having to pay. I'm writing a check to the government for $75,000. And I'm writing, do. I'm writing the like California government. How much, you know, I know. And, and why do I have to pay federal and California? Like what? I know. I was so, it was such an, like an out of body experience for me. And, I'll never forget, actually, the the runner up totally sent me the most like so like just vicious message was like, you know what? You are so ungrateful. I wish I had to pay taxes. And I was like, bro, you missed you missed the whole point of my post because I had posted something. Oh, you saying, posted like, about it. I had posted saying like, wow, like paying taxes sucks. I never realized yeah. how much money the government can take away. Um, and then this again, person writes a. Wrote me vicious the, the, email, the, a vicious text message, Ugh. like like you are the most like you know, insensitive. How am I supposed to feel? I was like, dude, nobody's thinking about like your feelings. Like, I'm sorry. No, you're relating to. I'm I'm just I'm just telling world. everybody how like much it sucks to pay taxes. Yeah. Like, but he was obviously very hurt that he didn't win, so that sucks, and I understand. But yeah, I was like, no, paying taxes sucks for anybody. I don't care whether you won or lost. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> Especially that Paying amount. Taxes really sucks. So, Especially, and like we were talking about earlier, yeah. In my, you know, whether you're a used to be a W two employee or never filing before, when you get hit with something that substantial, it's mind blowing. Oh no, yeah, it's just like, wait, what? How yep. much? I'm so what? I've never seen that much money before, and now yeah. I have to pay. Give it, it away, exactly. Yeah. I was like, how do I? Why would I have to give that away? Like I earned that. It was so, yeah. It was such a revelation for me and so what did you do with the money <laughs> other than other than pay taxes other than give it all over to the government yeah. um, that's a good chunk of change we can talk about that right yeah it's, it's all gone <laughs> Jeez, oh my gosh it's yeah I, you i mean come on 250 <laughs> right. in san diego that's and then I mean. after they take away half yeah no it's um not much not much honestly right. like i paid off a lot of debt which i think was my biggest and most smartest choice of course um i paid off all my school debt which made sure that i didn't have kind of existing payments for long-term period um so i got rid of all my school debt um having left my ex-husband and all of that left me with some some debt as well of course um so cleared out all of my debt like okay. to the point where i had zero debt that's awesome were you at that you was said, wonderful you said grossmont did you go somewhere else after yeah grossmont? i went to san diego state and national okay. university so gotcha yeah that's i wanted to be school debt i wanted to be a lawyer can you believe that i did too <laughs> did you really i took the lsats and everything wow and then i got a job in radio never looked back and kind of wish i did at some point <laughs> You're all, maybe it's time to revisit. No, that's, but I get it though. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, I, I understand that trajectory. So you go to state, you're at National University, yeah. still cooking at home. You get the big TV break and yep. completely changes your trajectory overnight. Totally. totally. Yeah. So, but yeah, I still think about going back. <laughs> I do too. It's, it's never too late. It's um, never too late. But uh, how did it change you know, your world at that time. So you become this big master chef winner. You, you, you build a relationship with the TV audience. Yeah. Where did that go? Where did it go from there? I mean, so many shows, right? So Food Network started inviting me to shows like Chopped and, um, you know, and, and Food Network Challenge and Budget Battles and all of these other shows. And so that was wonderful. I started to kind of pick up appearances here and there. And then, but I think most notably, I started to really get a lot of, um, 
a lot of brand ambassadorships. So Tajin was a big, really big one mm. for me. I was a international brand ambassador for Tajin for four years. Um, so that was really cool. Um, I worked with brands like Kellogg's, you know, Coca-Cola, T-Mobile, Verizon now. I mean, and, and on and on and on, right? And so those brand partnerships were really what helped pay the bills. Of course. And now um, did you have a manager at that time helping you connect all these dots? Or are you negotiating these deals on your own? W- you would not believe it, but I had my cousin doing, being my manager, you yeah. know, like, and she was, you know, I would pay her whatever, 15% whatever. or yeah. whatever. and. And um, yeah, she was the one that was helping me negotiate because I, nope, you know, nobody was offering to represent me. And um, I wasn't necessarily finding anybody that I really clicked with in terms of the management, you know, aspect of it. So um, Keep it one in the year, family. yeah, one year after the show, um, not even a couple of months after I started writing the book, I had about 12 weeks to write the book, the cookbook. Released the cookbook May of the following year. Um, the book went on to become an Amazon bestseller, which was huge. Um, and, you know, that all, all of those things kind of together was really what led to MasterChef Latino, which meant, you know, I, I got the chance to move from being a contestant to Good being judge. a judge. Yeah. Um, so that was a really big deal because, um, you know, I was in the United States uh, granted, it's still Spanish television, but I was in the United States doing MasterChef. And oh, that cool. was that was huge. Would you shoot up in L.A. too for that? Oh, no, Miami, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. we, yeah, because it's Telemundo. So Telemundo is based right. out of Miami. There you go. Um, and then we filmed two seasons of that. And then and then they decided to cancel it. I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with my life? Damn. Was that, yeah. a good, was that a good gig, too, I would imagine? Yeah, that was a really good gig. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, so that really sucked. And it also sucked because I felt like our ratings were appropriate. Like they need, they were where they needed to be. So it was very weird that we weren't renewed. And so, you know, it's fine. I think especially this day and age where everyone's looking for that type of programming. Let's, let's be honest. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was the most, the, the most weird decision, but I was like, you know, listen, I'm not an executive or whatever. So I don't know what they're looking for. So personalize it, move on. What's next? Well, I did take it personal. Unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, you know, uh, but, but you weren't the main host of the no, show. No, no, no. I was I was like one of three judges and yeah, there was blame the other two. Yeah. <laughs> you were the one that was keeping it on for two years. The other two screwed it up. Yeah. And um <laughs> But I know that thought process. Yeah. Like, so then I, you know, I did what what you and I have done, which is like, okay, let's go back to the drawing wheel and like figure out what new concept I can come up with. And right. You know, that's where the idea for Cochi Dorado came up, which was the bakery that I opened um in June that where was supposed that? to be a brick and mortar. Yeah, what was the story with that? So I did a Kickstarter because the show had ended. And so I knew that I wasn't going to have any income. I knew that I wasn't going to have anything. So I was like, let me try to build a business now that I'm out of my contract with MasterChef and I don't owe them 30% for everything I do. Um, Now that I can kind of do my own thing, like this is the perfect time to like jump into something else. And so um, I did a Kickstarter, raised $59,000 roughly. Um, and was like, perfect. This is what's going to help me to start the process of, you know, building out and, um, renting uh, a space, uh, all of that stuff, you know, and, uh, staffing up. Well, not even that, like just the build outs, you know, the, the, the architect, like all, all, you know, a plumbing, all of that stuff. And so, um, started to go, I went through the whole SBA, SBA, um, women's partnership, whatever it's called, like women's workforce, whatever, so that they would teach me how to run a business as well. So that I, 
So it took like about six months of classes to do that. Um, and then uh, applied for my loan uh, once the Kickstarter ended. And we were scheduled to start construction April 1st. Um, and so all I needed to do was sign like my final kind of like almost like loan docs. Um, and then the pandemic hit March 17th. Oh. And so the SBA decided not to fund my loan. Oh, no. Because there was no way that the world was going to be frequenting yeah. going to a restaurant right now um, because the world was shut down. Construction wouldn't be able to happen. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, what are you talking about? Because at that point I had already invested. I had already, as you know, like, you know, when you're opening up a restaurant or things like that, like you have to think in advance. Right. So if I'm opening in June, I can't be placing orders for boxes and things the month before you right. have to you have to order that stuff from like China six months in advance. Right. So I had already purchased boxes and it, like there were investments in the architect and the plumber and the electrician and, you know, all of these people. Where that was the space? In National City. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Cool. I had paid first and last month's rent, you know, oh. and, and, and you know, another deposit and, you know, it just had already spent probably about maybe like $40,000 worth of my money and some of the fundraising money. And then that happened and I was like devastated. Like I went through a pretty severe depression. I'm not going to lie. And then, a good friend, Chef Maeve from Sugar and Scribe, reached out and was like, hey, girl, let's go. What are we doing? And I was like, you know, like, I'm just not in a good space right now. She was somebody that helped me with um, consulting on my business model and like trying to identify where I could, you know, make it make it a viable business. And so she was a really big mentor for me. And she was like, listen, if this is not going to be a play, then you need to figure out what is the next play. So why don't you come and do a pop up here? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like find a commercial, you know, working space. There's, I'm sure there's going to be kitchens that are open. Um, food is essential. So you fall under that essential work thing. She's like, so let's just try to get you in here. And so June 1st, when we were supposed to open my, my brick and mortar, um, instead of opening my brick and mortar, I just did a pop-up, a month long pop-up. And every single day that we were open, we sold out. Damn. Every single day. And you ran that for how long? For the whole month of June. Okay. And then after that, I was like, "Whoa, well, this did very well." Which honestly and what was were you selling, uh, like, kind of like fancy Mexican sweet bread. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it made me. It was a little validating, right? Because I was like, "Okay, so I wasn't crazy. This is something that people want and and would support, and you know, would shop for, and all of that." And so it was very validating. And so I was like, "Okay, I can't open up a brick and mortar because I don't have enough." As San Diego is so expensive, you need about half a million dollars. Um, for people that don't know, <laughs> to open up a business. And so I was like, okay, I don't have half a million dollars, but I can continue to rent a commercial working space and then just do a pop-up elsewhere. And so started doing pop-ups throughout the county in different places, um, at friends' restaurants, at friends' businesses, um, started doing a bunch of pop-ups and then started shipping, which was a huge thing. So I started shipping nationwide. Damn. Um, yeah, I got like I got on the Drew Barrymore show because they found out about our stuff. And no way. Yeah, it was, did you get to meet Drew? I on on on, on Zoom, TV on, on Zoom. Zoom. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's good enough. I, I think that's so too. Enough. I think so too. Um, so you know, it was it was really it was really nice. It was really nice to to feel as though I was able to in at least in part right like fulfill that dream of like this this is viable and then i sold taste of the border and i got master chef latinos with estrella tv because telemundo sold the show 
Um, and so it was like, oh shoot, I'm going to be gone for six months. Like, how am I going to continue the bakery? Right. So, so we were, so down. we sh- we had to shut it down. Damn. I know. You want to bring it back sometime? Well, I'm like, I'm, you're going to be the first to know. I'm thinking about bringing it back as soon as October. Oh, so. do it. Yeah. Do it. I think like do October, it. I'm going to do like Halloween because we do like themed. Seasonal stuff. Yeah. Seasonal stuff. So Dope. we do like pumpkin, like oh, ponchas. Oh, and yes. Yeah. 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 So you've got the time. <laughs> You can make it happen. You got this. <laughs> that's that's awesome, though. Yeah. I, I am curious, though. Did because when you had all your TV success and it wasn't that long, you've you've still you know you've been having it. Yeah. And and seeing how much the local San Diego media also pounced on you, celebrated you, deservingly and rightfully so. Thank you. Does that add, though, to the madness between the ears sometimes when you're having those down moments and those hard times where you're like, everyone, you know, my peers here in my hometown think I'm this huge celebrity, yet I'm, I'm having these internal struggles. And does it, does it magnify it sometimes? Does that make sense? 100%. Um, I, I think it does, honestly. I think, like, it makes it yeah, I think it it doesn't help the imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, because I think one of the good things about everything that's happened across the last seven, eight years since I won MasterChef, I think of all of the things is that I have kept my feet on the ground and I, you know, have never thought like, oh, I'm better than anyone, you know. Right. Um I think that's the philosophy. I'm a philosophy major, so I think that's the this the very Socratic thing of like, yep. I know that I know nothing, you know. Um, and not getting kind of in my head and getting egotistical about like, oh, I'm, I'm the best and I'm the shit, you know? No, it's not about that. I think that it's always been about something much greater than me. And, and, and that has helped. Um, I think what has amplified for me, especially when I'm going through like really, really rough places is like the expectation that like, I am rich, you know, like, um, or that I am, making a ton of money and and then people see me and it's almost like I like I feel like I disappoint them you know like this guy that saw me doing uber you know this shouldn't be disappointing like I agree I I understand that like we idolize as a society not we literally uh as a society we idolize money and we idolize these celebrities and we think that because you're on tv you are somehow this like you know money magnet Um, But the reality, I think, is and I think what is really important to me is that I need to be authentic to myself and I need to be authentic to my story. And if people don't like seeing that this is a struggle and that this is work, well, then they've been lying to themselves all along. And then on top of that, it's, it's given me a ton of perspective to your point earlier about like, there are people that have had incredible success throughout their life that you, I look up to all the time that are probably just working a regular job now. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with that. Musicians, um, artists. Yeah, absolutely. And actors. Oh yeah. And I just have so much more respect for them because Me I'm too. like, oh my gosh, like I, we, I feel like it was like ignorance, right? We, we, we were, I was, I was so ignorant in thinking that, you know, because they had a record like deal and they had, you know, they toured the world for how many years that they're rolling in it, that they're rolling in it forever. Yep. And that's not reality. That's not the way the the life, you know, that this life or the world works. And so, 
Um, I think that that's been very humbling even as well. And so, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it magnifies some of it for yeah. sure, especially when you're in your down points. Yeah. I think that's beautifully said. I, th I think you really nailed it. And it seems like the common theme when it comes to this is the imposter syndrome. Yeah. I'm somebody who has gotten to know you from social media. Totally. From local coverage. Totally. And, you know, the, the people putting you on a pedestal here locally. And I can tell you, and I think I'm a pretty decent judge uh, of humans and character, that I, not for a second, ever thought that you were an imposter or you got to where you were based on luck, yeah. based on okay. where, where you come from. I really have always looked at you as being the real deal. Thank you. And, and that's 1000% true. And the reason why I have kept you on a radar, I've always tried to reach out because I just know you're a real one. I celebrate your success. Thank you. And I feel your pain, <laughs> but we don't know each other. You know, we yeah. know each other digitally. Yeah, 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 totally. So it's, it's like a lot of these questions are because I see it, I feel it. Yeah. But I'm also, a fa I'm also someone rooting for you. Thank you. And I do believe this when I say this. It's so funny. Do you know who was on my last show? No. Was And it hasn't published yet, or it will be out by the time this does, was uh -huh. Tommy Gomes. Oh. Tommy. And I know you do, and I do too, and we're all connected. Yes. And he was really drilling something into me during our talk, and I believe this to be true for you. He believes it to be true for me. Yeah. But then I'm like, I, I don't believe it because it's me. <laughs> but I actually believe this to be true for you okay. the same way he does for me, and he'd say the same for you. Yeah. Which is you haven't even met or worked with or collaborated with the person that's going to define this next stage of your life. Like, wow. you, you've already experienced greatness. Yeah. But there's more ahead of you and you haven't even met the people yet that yeah. are going to take you there. I, I wholeheartedly believe that for both of us, friend. We are resilient and perseverant. Um, and because we continue to persevere and we continue to find avenues for our creative mind, um, because that's really what we all are, right? Regardless of whether your medium is radio or uh, food or, you know, uh, ingredients, journalist, whatever it is, painter. when you are creative, you're creative through and through, and you're always going to come up with new stuff. And, um, and, and that will always be a fuel to just keep igniting new fires and new fires. And whether it's the right fire is, is yet to be seen, but I, I 100% think, um, that that totally applies to you. I feel that way about you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, it's awesome. Thank you so much, Chef Claudia Sandoval, for coming on the show. Be sure to subscribe, if you haven't already, to the Cantori Show podcast, which you can find on Apple and Spotify. This is an Olas Media production. Also, if you don't know, I do have a Patreon going, and that's where I do more of a, it's kind of a solo effort. Talk about, uh, you know, stuff going on. My cat, the last episode was me talking about this cat that my family rescued by the name of Walter. He's uh, about three or four, according to the vet. He's gone from feral to fabulous. Actually, from feral to fat. <laughs> When we got him a couple of weeks ago, my son found him at a uh, wing stop. You could see his, uh, his ribs, he was so skinny. Now, his body is so big, his head looks small. He's kind of built like me. So uh, yeah, 
If you're down with Patreon or would like to subscribe, uh, just search my name in Patreon and Patreon and we can get connected there or I'll throw some links in the blog. Otherwise, I certainly encourage you to check out Olas Media at olasmedia.com. We're constantly uh, releasing new shows. We've got uh, the ones I'm working on right now, the local pile, Tim Piles of uh, Loudspeaker 91X fame, the mayor of local San Diego music. Uh, he's got a show where he talks to local musicians. And then my dear friends, Bird and Ken Lewis, Bird Huffman of Bird Surf Shed, they've got a surf podcast, San Diego Surf History, by the name of Bird's Word. And you can find both those and many more at olasmedia.com. Okay? Until next time, uh, be cool. Thank you for listening, and uh, I appreciate you. All the best.